Connect Church, would you welcome Joel Cornelius this morning? Joel really is my brother from another mother, and uh, we, we served on the same church staff together for a while, and yep. Joel has been uh, one of our overseers from the very beginning, which means uh, he's, he's someone that just provides a safety net for us, and uh, he'll be working with our leaders this afternoon, our staff and our elders, and uh, just getting a little bit of an update of what's happening here at Connect. It's been a while since he's been here, and his wife Sharon is here in the front row, Yes, and... Uh, and some good friends that came down from Browning, and we're glad to have you all with us this morning. Welcome to Connect, and uh, you're going to love Joel's ministry this morning. So thanks, Joel, very much. Thank for you, buddy. Here. Thank yeah. you. Bless you. Have you ever done anything you're really ashamed of? That was that was it. <laughs> I realized I don't know that I like that anymore. It was funny when we first did it, but uh, I realized. There was probably drugs involved with that or something. <laughs> no, man. Terrible. You should be thankful that's the video I chose. To I show. know. There was, there was other ones we did. You, yeah, you just don't want to know. <laughs> um, well, turn the person next to you and say, I think you're sexy. Now, if, it's, if, it's the, if, it, if you have to say it by faith, just reach out there and... How many of you guys, this is the first time I've met, or I'm meeting you? Raise your hand if this is the first time I'm meeting you. Okay, cool. And how many of you guys, we've met before, raise your hand. Okay, awesome, awesome. Well, um, my name is Joel, and I am an Oneida Indian, uh, or Iroquois, they say. We're actually the people of Longhouse. We're from upstate New York. We started in New York, and uh, we, as my uncle uh, used to say, we had a real estate problem, moved to, Gray, uh, to Green Bay. And so we we are now out. We own half the city of Green Bay, part of the Packers, and and that's where my family's from. And uh, but I grew up in Billings, Montana. Most of you guys, I think, a, a big junk you guys knew. I grew up in Billings, Montana. Graduated from uh, um, Billings Central. I was raised a Catholic boy, and uh, went through the whole parochial school system. I'm uh, one of eight kids. I'm the second oldest, my older brother Ron, and then my brother John, Chris, Teresa, Tim, Mark, Greg, and we're all, we're all almost 50 now. I'm over 50, and uh, I know I still look like 35, that's just, uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, still just young whippersnapper, but that's kind of it. My wife is uh, from New Mexico, we met uh, a long time ago on the dance floor dancing to PYT <laughs> and uh, just fell, fell in love with her and decided to follow her around and see who she was. They call that stalking nowadays, but back back then I <laughs> followed her around. And, and um, uh, so we would get married shortly thereafter. We have four children. Our oldest is 32 and our youngest is 20. I have seven grandchildren, one on the way. So I'm a I'm a grandpa, yeah. I love my, my my grandkids and my oldest grandson's name is Scotty. He calls me Pops, and he loves movies. How many of you guys like movies? Well, I, I I love movies. My wife loves them more, but my grandson he's like the movie critic. He's always calling me up, saying, "Pops, Pops, you're gonna go see this movie," and and he'll tell me what Rotten Tomatoes says about it and everything. And we have these big discussions about movies. And you're not interested, but anyways, I'll just change. So you're just. <laughs> 
checking out on me. If you had a Bible, turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter 4. I want to speak to you for a little while on the problem with temptation. How many of you guys have had a rough month? Raise your hand. You can put it down. How many of you had a rough week? Raise your hand. How many of you had a rough season? You're, and you're probably still in it. Okay. How many of you have had a rough day? I mean, literally, you got up. It was you thought it was gonna be good, and then just kind of. And you're here though. Cool. You know, the word temptation in the Bible is kind of a. It's a. It's a Greek word that can be used in different ways. Testing or temptation. It just depends on the context uh, that it's used in that defines whether it's evil or good. And uh, but either way, when you're going through it, it just feels like miserable. And we're going to look at a series of temptations that Jesus goes through. Uh, it's it's not the first. It's not the first or last time, um, but it does give us an idea of some things and, and why it's important. So Matthew chapter four. If you're there, say Amen. Okay, uh, Matthew 4, starting in verse 1. The Bible says, Then Jesus was led out into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit to be tempted there by the devil. The 2B gives you understanding as why he went out. For 40 days and 40 nights he ate nothing and became very hungry. And then the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, change these stones into loaves of bread. But Jesus said to him, No, the Scriptures say, People need more than bread for their, for their lives. They must feed on every word of God. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, if you're the Son of God, jump off the, where the Scriptures say, he orders his angels to protect you, and they'll hold you with their hands and keep you from striking your foot on a stone. Jesus also responded, saying, the Scriptures also say, do not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the nations of the world and all their glory. He said, I'll give it all to you. He said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God, serve only him. And then the devil went away and angels cared for him. In Luke chapter 4, it'll say the devil will go away, but he'll come back look, look, waiting to find another opportune time. I want us to pray for a moment. Father, I just thank you for, thank you for today. Thank you, Lord, for allowing me to be here. Lord, just to come back home and, and feel the cool air and look at these beautiful mountains, Lord, that, gosh, when I was living here, Lord, sometimes you forget how beautiful it is. So thank you. Thank you, Father, for a friend, Lord, that has become more than a friend. It's like a brother and his wife and their hospitality. Thank you for this church, Lord, filled with your people who love you and desire only to know you and to make your name known. Lord, help me this morning. I just feel so inadequate right now. I need, Lord, your touch. I pray, Lord, for divine unction, for strength. Lord, that somehow, as I'm talking, Lord, you will take over. And people will forget me 
And they're just going to remember you. That when they walk out, Lord, something from heaven will be left in their hearts. Father, I pray for all of us, God, that we will see clearly what we've never seen before. Have your way, Jesus. We love you and we thank you. And everybody said amen. When I was read, I was looking at this um, for the past few weeks, just thinking about my life and in relation to this thing, and looking at what Jesus went through. We we pastored in Browning. We were in Browning last time. I think I talked to you guys, and I loved it there. My wife and I would would end up moving, and we've been in Tuba City, Arizona. How many of you guys know where Tuba City is at? Raise your hand. One, two, three, four. Really? Holy smokes. That's amazing. Well, Tuba City, we are about, um, we're north of Flagstaff, Arizona, which is about three hours outside of Phoenix. And we're in a high desert. It is high desert. Uh, we're not that far from Grand Canyon, probably about maybe 50-some, 60 miles from the South Rim. It's beautiful, but it's desert. It is dry. I mean, we have uh, the word Tuba is really supposed to be Tuvi. It's a and it means uh, tangled waters. It's wa- all this stuff. Un- there's water underground, but you can't get to it. And it is it's just dry, dry, dry. I get up, and, and there's wind, and you're always getting this red dirt. It's, it looks like Mars. If you take a picture and look at Mars, that's what it looks like where I live. Literally looks like Mars. And uh, there's a lot of sheep there. And, we, and God uh, called us to a, a church there that had gone through um, some tough times with their former pastor he had spent 18 and a half years there and the last few years there was just just some challenges i think he kind of burned out and they moved into conflict and and some struggles and so he would end up leaving burned out and the board and the whole church was burned out people had been had left and and it was just kind of a tough situation but that's kind of what we do and we moved there really because well god you know god god's behind it and uh, we, I loved living in Browning. I, I liked Browning. I mean, it was an interesting place when, when we were there. The only way I could describe it kind of the first time I met Rayola is we just felt like I'd always been there. It just, it was a unique situation. My personality fit, everything fit. I'd say something, they'd laugh. We would laugh all the time. We spent a lot of time laughing. And my last service there, we cried hard. And, you know, we went following God because God was leading. The Holy Spirit will lead Jesus. I don't know if he really wanted to go, but he would, he would go. Sometimes God leads you to do things that you normally wouldn't want to do. I think a lot of times we choose comfort, predictability, things that we can depend on, and, and there's nothing necessary. I don't want to say that's wrong, but when we do that, and, we, and, and God is leading us to do something other, we miss out, possibly, some of the greatest things that could happen in our lives. The adventure. Christianity is supposed to be an adventure, people. It's not supposed to be just kind of like predictable, normal. Anything about Jesus' life is not that way at all. And, 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 and when we choose that, we can fall into a rut that eventually leads us to becoming stagnant where we're not experiencing the life of God, the joy of God, everything he talked about, a life overflowing. I mean, it's an amazing life to serve God. And so, you know, my wife would eventually, she would be, uh, her dad got sick for the last, I think we were that, 
you know, last portion of our being there, and she would move, go back to Shiprock to take care of her dad. Her dad was sick, and, and I spent a year and a half in Browning by myself, most of it by myself. She'd come home, or I'd go back down to see her, and I began to feel like, God, you've you know, got to heal Sharon. You've got to help her. You've got to touch dad, because while she was down there, she also, under the stress of it all, developed fibromyalgia. Anybody know what that is? Raise your hand if you do. Keep it high. I just want to see. Okay, so there's people with hands up. They'll tell you what it's like afterwards. But my wife was in a lot of pain. And the cold, it's cold. And browning is cold. It just, it's not going to be warm. It's going to be cold because that's what you get whenever you live in a beautiful place. There's always a trade-off. You live in Hawaii, you're going you're gonna to be on an island. Eventually, you're going to get sick of beans. It looks beautiful, but I've met people who live there their whole lives, and they feel like, I'm trapped. It's like walking the yard. I mean, there, you can only go so far, and then there's water, and then you're stuck. And, and you know, I, you lo- I love the desert, I, or I love Phoenix. When I used to, I started ministry down in Phoenix, and I thought it was great. There's palm trees, there's oranges, there's all this stuff. There's a lot of people here, a lot of opportunities. But after a while, the same, uh, the same things you like become the same things you kind of like. i got to get out of here. It's warm there. The winters are great, but the summers are terrible. I mean, it's 100. We had 100, degree, 100 days of 100 degrees. And before we left there the first time, I was like, man, Lord, I can't take it. Um, and so we were down, we are up in Arizona, or we're up in, we were up in Montana, and I started praying, God, touch my wife, heal her, or we're going to have to leave. We're gonna have, we're, something's going to have to happen. I can't live out these next few years of my wife's and I. We're just young still, and her, you know, living underneath a, a bearskin rug or whatever, <laughs> trying to stay warm. And God would lead us to Tuba City. And it, it was hard. But it's great. It's challenging. But who said God's will wouldn't, would always be easy? Just because something isn't easy doesn't mean it isn't God's will. Sometimes it is going to be tough. But that's okay. So Jesus goes out and and he's led, the Bible says, by the Holy Spirit to be tempted. He's going to be tested. You know, I think of tests like this. This chair was made to be sat on. I don't know how much weight it can hold. But as I sit on it, I realize it can handle a guy that's over 250 pounds. It's a test. Now, the next test would be, can it hold a man of over 300 pounds? Yes. And it can. <laughs> So we know the character of the chair can hold. (laughs) All right. (laughs) We're going to go public with this, huh? (laughs) Exactly how many. Not anymore. Not anymore. Yeah, Rusty's lost a lot of weight. He's looking sharp. Everybody look at Rusty and say, (laughs) as they say, sexy. You're looking sexy. Sweet, sweet mother of pearl. You're looking sexy. <laughs> so, I don't know why I said that. <laughs> That's, anyways, it's Chris speaking through me. <laughs> I'm not attracted to you that way. Just so, so you know. <laughs> right, we're going downhill quick. Somebody say, Jesus, pray, help him. <laughs> we're falling falling and we can't get up so anyways where was i oh 
No, testing, thank you. So he goes out and, and he's led to do this. And while he's there, it's all, I want to just say four things, five things I see about this, I think they're very interesting. First of all, he goes out and he's alone. There's nobody with him when he goes to face this. And I think that's really important that we understand that because who we are when nobody's around says a lot more about us than we realize. If Jesus can face these things and overcome this privately, it's going to have a lot, it's going to say a lot about him publicly. Who are you and who am I when nobody's there? When nobody's at the house, when nobody's around, what are the things we do? If, if, we, if, if, every, if nobody could see you, what do you do? Jesus is alone. It's going to show the kind of person he is. His character is going to be tested. The second thing about it is I realize the Holy Spirit leads him, therefore this testing is necessary. That it's not a waste of time. God doesn't just kind of send him out there on a goose chase. There's a purpose in his being alone and going through this, so it's necessary. Everybody say necessary. It's kind of like when you go hiking around in the, in, in the mountains and glacier and you got to take some bear spray. It's necessary. You need to bring bear spray with you. Do you, do you, do you want to know the reason why bear, you never hear of bears attacking Indians? Do you, do you want to know why? Because we're smart. <laughs> it's like, oh, I never thought of it that way. Yeah, we don't hang around and go over to bears and try to take pictures of them when they're just not that far away. Do you realize a grizzly bear can cover 18 yards in one second? Some, I mean, have you seen some people? It's like, I don't even know what gets in their brain. And they're going, up, oh, look at it, it's a cute bear. And it's got little cubbies. And they're like, man, you can't even run. Look, how far can you run in a blink? Yeah, that's it. You're done. Look at the person next to you and say, you're dead. <laughs> that's why I, whenever I would go hiking, we had a hiking group at, at our church and I would always recruit somebody heavier than me. <laughs> I always did. And I would tell him up front, I said, I want you to come because I know if we see a bear, I'm tripping you, I'm running, man. You're going to be bear bait. <laughs> I'm going to live, but you're going to go to heaven. <laughs> so just get your heart right right now so we don't have to cry at your funeral and wonder where you are. You'll be in heaven. It'll be good. Just be painful for a little while while they're using you as a toothpick. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just being honest. I didn't tell the first, ter- first services, but, you know. So, <laughs> anyways. So he goes out. I mean, it's necessary. The third thing about these temptations is that every one of them are, indiv- are fitted for who Jesus is. They're perfectly fitted for him. And the Bible says that that we need to be understanding of the strategies of the enemy. That the enemy has temptations that, that only you, that they're, they're areas that are fitted just for you. You see, when he came, when he tested Jesus, the first one, and, he, and Jesus is hungry, and he says, take these stones and turn them into bread, that would not be a temptation for me. It would be frustration to me, but not a temptation. I don't have the power to turn stones into bread, but Jesus did. Are you with me? So what he's tempted to do was a very real, legitimate temptation that he could have done. 
It was perfectly fitted for who he was. The next thing I want to say about it is that every, every one of them, I believe, was legitimate. In other words, they just weren't kind of like an idea or something. They were very real, very felt. The Bible says in Hebrews that, that our, our Lord was tested in, in these ways and he suffered under temptation. Have you ever been so tempted by something that literally hurt not to do it? The last thing I want to say is that every one of these temptations were aimed to provoke Jesus to step out of character and do something he would have norm, not normally done. You know, one of the things I remember years ago, we, we were going to school at Fort Lewis in Durango, Colorado, and I worked, as, uh, I worked at a restaurant called Lori's. Anybody been to Durango? Raise your hand. Have you been to, have you been to eat, have you eaten at Lori's before? Lori's Diner, it's on the main drags. You're heading out toward Uray. Beautiful little restaurant was back in the day, and um, they serve great green chili, hatched green chili and pork and tortillas. Mmm. And just love this stuff. I worked with a little, there was a little guy, kind of a skinny little guy. His name was Shane. Now, I'm heavy now. I used to be skinny. I used to look like Eric Estrada. This is what ministry does to you, okay? But... I started out like Eric Estrada. No, not the old Eric Estrada, the chips Eric Estrada. Anyways, yeah. So, I, but I used to play football in college, and I used to box and do all these things. I was always really athletic, and I mean, so at this particular time, we were there, and I was working there just to get through school. You know how you do that when you're in college? You just do whatever you got to do to get through, and you eat a lot of Craft macaroni and cheese and, and top ramen noodles and you learn how to make everything and you throw hot dogs in there and it's delicious and nutritious and you have Kool-Aid and whatever and you, you find all the pennies you can come up with and sell blood and you know, b- donate plasma and you, you know, hawk things and it's just so you can survive. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Some of you guys just didn't grow up that way or you're just ashamed to say you've been there. You know, I, that's how it was, man. Me and Sharon, you sit down on couch. You, it's amazing how much, you know, money you find and stuff. And we would, that's how we would survive. And so we'd eat like that. So I'm, I, I, anyways, I'm working at Lori's, and this little guy named Shane was there. Shane was just kind of a profane guy. He didn't know God, but he had just a foul mouth. And not that, you know, I, I wasn't that far removed from that, but because I'd, I'd given my heart to the Lord earlier that year. And the Lord just started changing, you know, the way I talk. You know, he, he, when, you, when, you just, when God comes in there, he, things start changing on the inside that, that translate as outward things that happen that correspond to what's going on inside. And so I stopped talking that way. And I used to fight a lot when I was, I grew up in Billings and I would scrap almost every weekend. I was just getting in fights. I was like that cat with a, ear over here and you know he comes up but you know it's like that that cat can fight <laughs> and that was me I know you don't believe that about me but I, I I used to do that and I'd get mad and if you pushed I would go over and this little guy and I'm trying I would try to witness to him I'd you try to live right in front of him do everything right for for months I'd tell you know Shane you should come to church and come with me in our church and all this stuff and and there was a bunch of people that began to uh, move toward God. We started a Bible study at our work, and people were coming together. It was great. Well, this particular day, 
I'd just kind of been going through some stuff and just, I was, I wasn't praying like I needed to for a few weeks. I was just, you know, busy living. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody? It's not that you don't love God, but you start, you just start getting and you, and you start neglecting some things. And, and when I was doing that, you know, I could feel it. I was like, I'm getting a little dry, I'm getting this this way. But I, I was talking to him. This particular day, Shane got right in my face. I don't know what it was. And he, and he got my face. And he said, you know what? You're just a big hypocrite, man. And he started using foul language and started cussing me out right in my face. Now, what I used to do, I, that would have that never happened. He would have gotten one word out. And I'm standing there, and he kept saying it. And I grabbed him by the neck. And he's a little tiny guy. You know, kind of like those little dogs. What are those little dogs that just bark a lot? You just want to, like, step on him. I mean, that's just me. I'm, I'm not a dog lover. Russ loves dogs. But the Bible says dogs are not supposed to make it to heaven. They're supposed to be outside, just so you know. Bonsai's going to be right outside. <laughs> I'm sorry, Russ. It's just the Bible. <laughs> you know, take it <laughs> Anyways. I just, those little dogs, you know what I'm talking about? Those irritating ones, you just want to kick them? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about. Just those little ones, but they're like, you're like, okay, and you kind of push them away, and, and that's what he was doing. And I could just feel it bubbling inside. Just this little push, you know, it's like every little word he's saying. And, and, and I knew, it's like, it's just, it's like, you know, if you keep this up, I'm going to nail you. <laughs> have you ever done that? Just, have you ever said this to somebody? If you know, if I wasn't a Christian, I'd knock you out, but I love Jesus. <laughs> do you know what I mean? No, nobody said that. That's kind of where I was. He just pushed and pushed. And so finally I snapped and I grabbed him around the neck. I threw him up against the wall. And I said, you know what? I said this thing I, I wouldn't, shouldn't say. I said, you know what? If I wasn't a Christian, I'd drive your head through that wall. You little jerk. <laughs> you know? And then he just looks at me. Jumps away, walks away. And as soon as he got done and he walked out the door, I felt ugly in here. Everything about what he said, what he said that morning was to provoke, was to somehow push me, to pull me out of something. I apologize. I, 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 I prayed. I went to the restroom and prayed, got on my knees, said, God, I'm sorry, forgive me, you know, help me. And I, for the rest of the day, I would, every time I saw him, I said, Shane, you know, I need to talk to him, sorry. And he just kind of brushed me off and I caught him before he got off work and he's sitting in the break room and he's smoking a cigarette and I sat across from him. He's just blowing it in my face, looking away from me. I said, Shane, you know, I just need to tell you, I am sorry, man. You know, I've been talking to you for months about God and what I did to you was wrong and I feel so bad. You know, God's not like me. Please don't judge God based on me. Have you ever said that? And so he just walked off, got off work, I, I didn't. I thought it was done. You know, I just, I just felt like I blew my testimony completely. Just blew it. Didn't know if there was any recovery. And I get off work, and Shane's on his motorcycle across where he had been parked there, just sitting there. And I walk out. He calls my name. Hey, Cornelius, I want to talk to you. Come over here. So I walked over to him. And you know what he said to me? He said, "I need to tell you, I'm sorry." He said, "I was, I was pushing you." to see what you do, to see if you were real. I've never known a Christian to say they're sorry. 
Where do you go to church, man? I want to go with you. The devil pushes you to try to get you to step down from where you are and where you are in God and get you to act in a way that's contrary because he knows that if he can get you to do that, then, then everything you said up to that point with some people, you can never recover what you lost in that moment. Do you know what I'm talking about? I mean, God is, God, God's forgiveness is, covers everything. And we, we can ask God to forgive us for anything, but the reality is that people don't forgive like God. Some people will remind you for the rest of your life what you did. Doesn't the Bible say in Ecclesiastes, it's a little, it's a little fly that spoils the ointment. It's those little things, and, and the enemy would try to push you. He would try to push you and you if he could just get you to step down and step away, and that's what he's doing with Jesus. Every one of these temptations is a little push, a little provocation to see. There's no question that Jesus is the Son of God. Satan knows who he is. Matter of fact, I looked at one translation and said it this way. It didn't say, if you're the Son of God. It said, since you're the Son of God. Do you know at any moment, Jesus could have just stepped out as being God's Son and said, you know what, devil? We ain't having this today. And just did that right he could have in every one of these tests it tested him in his humanity how many of you guys know what i'm talking about you go to school there's something have you ever had that where where you just somebody walks in you don't know it is it didn't say anything didn't do anything just something about them you don't like and he even said it he said i don't like them why i just can't stand them do you see how she walks in the church? She just acts all. When they, Scott starts singing and she's like, so spiritual. <laughs> I saw her downtown Bozeman last night. It's not real. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever had somebody that you, their voice, even the sound of their voice, and you're like, they just irritate me? Ugh. Have you, do you know what I'm talking? Does anybody know? Are, am I just by myself? But I, I don't think so. Do you know that the problem is not them? It's you. Because when you say they irritate you, it's just who they are. They walk in the room, and all of a sudden, it manifests something inside of you that's drawn out by their very presence. You see, it's not that the devil's so powerful in these temptations. It's what they do. The Bible says in James chapter 1, it says, don't let a man think he's tempted by God, for God cannot tempt a man with evil, but each one of us are drawn away by our own evil desires. The reality isn't the test itself. It's what the test does. And any teacher in this room knows that when you give your students a test, it doesn't make them smarter. It's, pr- it's just there to locate them, to find out what they've learned and who they are at this present moment. That's all the test does. It just serves a purpose for the teacher to locate you. It's not the test. And so Jesus is there. The second one comes. Well, first one he says, you know, turn this stuff in. I want to say the first temptation is this. Write it down someplace. Write it on the person that's next to you. Just put on their hand, grab it, just write it down. Misuse power. First temptation misuse power have you ever had somebody come to you and talk to you at your weakest moment i mean this at this present moment 
when, when he comes to Jesus and says, turn this, this, this stone into bread, the Bible says Jesus just finished 40 days of fasting. How many of you guys get hungry when you just miss a meal? <laughs> okay, imagine 40 days he's not eaten. And now his body's ready to eat again. He's hungry, the Bible says. I mean, that, that's the felt need. It's, I've never felt hunger pains like that before. And I tell myself, you know, I went, I mean, I could, I could go without some meals. I'm not going to die. I, I'm going to be okay. You know what I'm saying? Look at the person next and say, you'd be okay missing like a week of meals. You're all right. You're, you're not going to die. You're not, you're not going to die. But Jesus is there, and, and so he's hungry. And the devil tests him. He says, take your power, if you're God's son, and just prove it. And turn this stone into bread and feed yourself. Make a sandwich. No, Ain't nobody going to see this but you and me. Just go ahead. Have you ever seen when a person gets a promotion and all of a sudden they just change? You think, man, I used to like you when you were just, you know, just regular old you. But then all of a sudden now you got power. You just went power crazy. Have you seen politicians? All of a sudden they get a, a, a position, their vote, and then all of a sudden they just change. It's not that they changed. It's that what was inside of them came to the surface at that moment. That's what power does. And when Jesus is tempted this way, you know it's felt. When the devil says, okay, since you're God's son, go ahead and turn this into bread and take care of yourself. Since your dad hasn't been taking care of you. Have you ever felt that way sometimes? Feel like, you know what, God's not helping out, so I just need to step up and do what I need to do. Because I've been praying and God's not coming through. So I'll do that. You know what's interesting? A lot of times we feel like temptations come at the most when we're in the weakest areas. I find that the greatest temptations are in our strength. When I can do something about it. When I'm weak, I call out to God. I lean on Him. But when I'm strong... I tend to want to take control of the thing. That's why God would send a messenger from Satan to buffet Paul. And Paul would pray three times, God, take it away. And the Lord would say, no, because my grace is sufficient for you. For when you're weak, then I'm strong. Who likes to be weak? Especially Montana boys. We don't like to be weak. Don't let them see you cry. Don't let them see your weakness. And God would say, for me to be glorified through you, you're going to be weak. But I don't want to be weak, God. I don't want to be weak. I don't want to be vulnerable, God. I don't want to go there. And so he's tested in this strength area in his life. The second one, if you're God's son, and prove it by jumping off this cliff. And demonstrate it. It'll be okay. Since the Bible says that 
He'll give his angels charge over you lest you dash your foot against a stone. And that's a, that's a legitimate quote from the Bible. It's real. It's true. It's, it's true. But the problem is, it is it's, it's taken out of its context. There's nowhere in the Bible that says just jump off stuff and it's going to be okay. That God's going to catch you. And, and, and so the temptation to Jesus is this. Be reckless to prove a point. Just go ahead. You know how many times I've, as a pastor I've met people and counseled people throughout the years who just would just do stuff. And presuppose that God's going to, in his love, graciously catch you every single time. And the reality is sometimes we, we get in these messes because we just step in and we do something. We, we assume it's going to work out the one, one way, but it didn't work out. I met, I, there was one situation, there was a guy where he came to me and he said, Pastor, you know, I'm just really struggling. I wanna, I, I'm just sick and tired of stuff. And, I, you know, I, and he, he really got himself in trouble and... He said, you know, I, I just was driving by that bar, and, I, you know, he used to be a really hard drinker at party, and he was so ticked off at his wife. He said, you know what, God? He said, I'm going to go in there and drink unless you stop me. Have you ever said something so crazy? God, if you don't stop me, I'm going to do it. I did. It happened when my son-in-law who was who at one time, this guy would later, him and my, my oldest daughter would get a divorce. And it happened. I get a call in the morning before church. My daughter's crying. And she said, my husband beat me up. I won't use his name. He said, Dad, come over here. I told my wife, I said, and it's right before church. I mean, it's like, like half hour before church. So I looked at Sharon Russ and I said, Sharon, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go over there. Holly got beat up. I'm going to go beat up Roland. I'm probably going to go to prison, so just so you know. <laughs> and I got in the car. And I made up my mind as I drove over to every, every little place as we're going over there. I had made up my mind to kill him. And when I saw my son-in-law, I, I, op- I knocked on the door, and my daughter opens it up. My daughter's got a big black eye and a bloody mouth. And I used to fight. And I said, where is he? She said, Daddy, he's back there. And I said, you tell that guy to get out here and talk to me right now. And I'm, I was so angry, I was shaking. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And so I said, tell him to get out of here. And, he, I, and, I, and, she, and she said, and she wrote, called his name, and he just laid in the bed. He wouldn't get up. He's just looking at the ceiling. So finally I said, I'm going to give you a count of three, and I'm going to come in there, and I'm going to come back there if you don't get in here. I mean, and I was hoping he'd come because I knew at three, I'm done, okay? One. Two. All right, three. And I walked in there, threw off my coat, Loosened my tie, walked in the room, and I said, look here, look at me. And he's sitting there on the, on the bed, laying on the bed, looking up at the ceiling. I said, look at me. And I grabbed his face, pushed it to look at me. You think it's okay to beat up a girl, a woman? Okay, you stand up here now, and you hit me. Please, please hit me. I'm begging you to hit me. Because when you do, I will break your neck. And when I said that, I meant it. Do you know what I'm talking about? 
My wife had come in the room. She grabbed me by the palm. She said, Joel, get out of here. You need to get out of here. I go in the living room, and I'm so angry. And all of a sudden, this drunk guy walks in. Hey, are you the pastor? He said, no, 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 talk to me. Are you the pastor? I'm the pastor. Pray for me. I need to get saved. I couldn't pray myself out of a wet paper bag. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you know what I'm saying? I was so messed up inside. There's no way I could pray. I didn't feel like I could even use the name of the Lord. I mean, I am just an absolute mess. That's what I'm talking about. You know, just go and jump off and just be reckless. And, you know, that was really stupid of me because I, I went there knowing that's how I felt inside. Looking back now, I should have never went there because I thank God for that drunk man. That drunk man saved me from having prison ministry. Do <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? He saved me. I thank God. I had to sit there and he kept begging me, please pray with me. And I was like, I can't pray. He said, you mean you're not a your preacher? Don't you care if I go to hell? <laughs> I don't even know what I prayed, man. <clears throat> I don't even know. I, I just said something and, and he walked out. And then I had to drive to the church. And I walk in there and I, went to the, I sat in the back and I wouldn't come into the sanctuary for a while trying to get my mind right. I have so much respect for this desk here. I walked in and I, I when they turned over, my, uh, my head board member had to come and said, Pastor, you got to come in. And I walked up the front and I said, I, I, I can't preach today. My daughter got beat up. And before I walked in here, I had every intention to kill my son-in-law. I don't know if you know what that's all about, but I, I can't. I can't do this. To be weak when you know you could take care of it. Just jump off Jesus. Man, I hate the devil. I do. Pushing. Pushing provoking you. And let me say that it's not, the enemy is not people. And I know you're going to go in this thing about spiritual warfare coming up, but sometimes we get so locked into a face that we assume that's the, the reality It's not the face, it's the, it's, the, it's the voice behind that voice. It's what's going on behind the scenes that, that count. And, and so Jesus is there being tested behind the scenes. Before he ever goes public, he's going to have to deal with stuff, this stuff privately. Do you know what I'm talking about? Third thing, it's quiet in here, but I can hear your minds moving. The third one. Well, Jesus, just, I got all this stuff. He shows him the kings of the world. Bow down to me and I'll give it to you. You don't have to say nothing. Just bow your knee. Ain't nobody going to see it but you and I. And I'll give it all to you. There's a, there's a, a two-word phrase I use for this. Sell out. A sellout is somebody who compromises what they publicly repudiate. But for personal gain, I'll do it. And Jesus is tested that way. Just bow down, sell out to me, and I'll give you what you want. 
That is a temptation. I have seen people over the years fall to that one. Especially as a pastor. I think it's challenging as a pastor because sometimes what you have to say is difficult. And to say it may cause people to not like you. But you have to love God more. Because my job isn't as a pastor to make my church fall in love with me. My job is to get them to fall in love with him. And if they're falling in love with me, then my God's going to have a problem with me because I'm stealing his girlfriend's heart. They're not supposed to fall in love with us or us. We're spiritual eunuchs to prepare them for a day when he says, we're going to get married. And I would tell that to people all the time. Isn't he wonderful? Isn't he amazing? Just sell out Jesus. Avoid the cross. Avoid the pain. And I'll give you what you want in the first place. I don't like pain. Do you guys like pain? Anybody? I, I don't. And I choose, I, I, I choose not to be having pain. I don't like confrontation either. I run from it. I just, I don't. Even though I used to be like that. The Lord just unraveled that part of my heart. I want to close with these thoughts. Scotty, if you could make your way. When, when I was thinking about this, and I thought about what Jesus did, in every situation, he ran to God and appealed to his word. He would take refuge under the authority of the scripture over his life. It's written. His word is what I live by. It is written not to test the Lord, your God. Have you ever had anybody say this to you? You know, if I was you, I would do this. You ever had that? You, you ever had a girlfriend and you've been getting, not getting along with your husband lately and then your girlfriend says, oh, girl, if I was you, I'd divorce that old fool. I'd get me a new guy. <laughs> I'm not talking about you guys. <laughs> you know. And they sometimes are Christian people. And they will give you some poor advice. If I was you. Or if I was you, I'd just beat that person up. I'd tell him off. I'd cuss your boss. You know that boss? You know, he'd, I, if I was you, I'd cuss him out, man. Who cares if you lose your job? There's a bunch of other jobs out there. And all of a sudden you hear, you know, that's right. I've been putting up with his stuff for far too long because it seems right. But Jesus, in every case, he would run back to the Bible and say, it's written here, though. Bow down. He said, no, I won't. You see, there'll be times later Jesus afterwards will be tempted like this again. Do you think that Jesus was like you and me? I'm talking to you guys now. Don't you know that even though he's God, he's still a man? And don't you think that there were times 
he might see and think, you know, I, I wish I had someone. And then there's some pretty face in the crowd that caught his eye too. And she looked at him that way that he always wanted to be looked at as a man. Need avoid it. Use your power, Lord. He'd say no, and they'd come to him afterwards, and they'd say, you know what, Jesus? The crowds loved him, remember? They, they all loved him. And they said, we'll make you king, and we'll take over this thing. We'll fix it. We'll make it all right. And how easy it would have been with the momentum, with the favor of the people, ready to go. Peter was ready. Remember that? That last night, Jesus said, I'm going to a cross, and he pulls out a sword. No way, Lord. It's never going to happen in my lifetime. And he meant it. He was ready to die for the Lord. And the Lord would say, put that away. You're mindful of the things of men, not my father. I thought about me. What is it that the, the devil just works on that pushes me into my life? And what is it that he does behind the scenes that nobody knows it's just you? What is it that he, you, you know, just, he just pushes and picks at this area in, my, in your life? For me, growing up in the, in, the, in the family I grew up with, and I'm closing right here, I'm one of eight kids. I'm the second oldest. Almost all my life, I never heard my dad tell me he loved me. He compared me to everybody else and how good they were and what they did. And for some of my brothers, it challenged and provoked them to step up and, and become more. I have brothers, two brothers who are doctors, and most of my family are all professionals. But you know, the same sun that hardens clay also melts butter. And my response was different than theirs. The more that I didn't hear that from my dad, the less I felt good about me. And it created a vacuum inside of me, a hole that nobody saw because I covered it up. I thought, well, I've always been a goof, goof off. I, I, this morning I'm not goofing off because it's serious stuff today. I just felt like I needed to share this. But I always covered up by laughing at all kinds of stuff, and I was all you know in the middle of everything. And but there was a hole inside of here that was left from the way I was raised. When I became a pastor, it was still there, and I became driven. I was a driven man, and I tried to find self worth and value based on what the church looked like at every any given moment, and. It was just so vulnerable. I mean, I, I, there was a time, a season in my life where I'd get up at 6 o'clock in the morning and I'd go to work and I'd be there all day and I'd come home at 10 o'clock at night. So driven to hear what I should have heard from my dad, to hear it from somebody else. Because what I really needed in my heart is I needed to hear a father that said, Son, I am proud of you and I love you. But I never heard it, so it, it was there, and, and nobody saw that, but I would just be running at this and pushing and pushing all of my life and created problems in my home. 
problems in my marriage, problems with my children because I was gone all the time. And I would tell myself, well, the reason I'm doing this is because, you know, I want you to have a better life and I want you to have these things. Let me just tell you something, guys and gals. You know what? I've realized now at this stage of my life, it's not the stuff that we give to our family. You know what they really need is they need you. Because the stuff comes and goes. What you have left over is memories. A father and a mother who took time, held your hand, talked with you. That's what adds value to you. Not the car, not the house you live in, not the job that you have, the title you have. For many of us in America, we've been, we've been, we have this hole in our heart in America. Running after something so elusive that never gives you what it promises to fulfill you. To make you feel better about you. I never felt good. I'd go to district meetings as a pastor. And I'd feel worse. I'd stop. Avo- I just started avoiding them because you know what guys would you normally say? They never asked me how are you doing, Joe. How's your wife? How's your family? How's your kids? You know what they'd always ask me, sister? Guess what they'd say? They'd say, "How's the church? How many people are you running now?" And I'd think, you know, nobody even cares about me. And we do that a lot. You ever gotten on a plane, meet a stranger? One of the first questions we ask people, not normally their name, we might in the context later, we almost always ask this question, what do you do? And then based on their response, we decide whether they're worth us spending time talking to them. You know, and I know we do that. We place value on beauty. You know, the crazy thing is, is that if Jesus were here the way he really looked, he looked so Palestinian. He looked so normal. He was like just so common. He is not, you know... Maybe he just, like, you know, look, he's, he's just, you would have walked right by him. Curly, dark hair, dark eyes. They did a big study on this scientifically and all the people from that particular area that grew up in Nazareth, that Galilee area. Have anybody seen that? It's, really, it's very interesting. And the picture of Jesus was so unlike Hollywood. Dark, deep, smoke, blue, or smoldering brown eyes, beautiful face, smile. Jesus just looked like a fisherman. And based on that region at that time, he was about five foot three. Muscular, rough hands, curly, dark hair. Just looked like me. (laughs) And yet what was inside of him was was the most important thing. And people walked right by him. In America, we would do the same thing. I know. Maybe not everybody in this room, but we would. Because we place value on the stuff that doesn't really matter. Jesus would run. Eventually, I found out what really counts in life, and I want you all to stand, because I'm done. I said it three times. I am done. We're landing now, so (laughs) please put your seats in upright positions and lock up. (laughs) I love you guys.
I finally figured out what's important. It took me years. Because silently and behind the scenes, I would always fight this. I realized that the most important thing in my life was to love God, to find validation from Him. My dad died last April. And when he died, the Lord told me, I'll be your father. And I'll never leave you. I found that any marriage, if it's dry and struggling, there's no greener grass, there's no better man. All men are the same. Different shapes or sizes. We all leave the toilet seat up and forget to put it down. We leave our socks down. We, we like stuff. We're not as complicated as you think we are, ladies. We are what we are. We don't think like that. I realize that if I want a beautiful green marriage, all I got to do is water the lawn. If your marriage is drying up, just water the lawn. The grass will start getting greener again. If you forgot who she is, the one you fell in love with, just take some time. Hold her hand. Walk. You got beautiful mountains. Walk the M. If she can't get there, just drag her. Hey, come on. <laughs> come on, woman. And, you know, and get up there. Take her for a beautiful drive up Cook City Pass and sit out and look into her eyes and remember who it was you fell in love with. If you thought there's an ideal job somewhere that's going to fulfill you, it's not really true. There's no perfect church. There's no perfect place to live. It's beautiful here, but it's cold here. And so if you want to stay here, you've got to learn to mow the lawn and shovel. <laughs> and get you to dress, dress warmly in the wintertime. There's no ideal, perfect place. It's just Him. I don't know what it is inside of you that's broken. That area where the devil picks on you, ma'am. Whatever it is, I can tell you this, that we have a Savior who is tempted in every way just like you. And he suffered under that temptation. And he never failed. And he tells you today, no matter what you're dealing with, I understand. Come to me. And I'll help you. And I'll heal your heart. And I'll fix what's wrong and untangle what's messed up. Because I understand exactly what you went through. Because I know. Because I went before you. That's who's on your side today. The gospel is good news, people. And that's why Jesus had to go in that wilderness. Because now we have a God who understands everything 
We've gone to, and he loves you, loves you, loves you. I want you all to bow your heads, please. Close your eyes. Father, thank you for today. Thank you, Father, for letting me come home for a little while. I needed it, God. I needed to see the mountains again. I needed to see the snow and the green trees. You know just what I needed, Father. I thank you, Lord, that there's peace and there's rest in you and in your provision and you understand everything I go through. And so today, Lord, I cast all my cares upon you. I realize I need you, God. I need your help. I need your help, God. I'm, I'm weak. That's just it, God. I'm weak. I want to be strong, but I'm weak. And I fail and I falter. And I make dumb decisions, God, but I need you today. And if that is you in this room, Please, every head bowed, every eye closed. I want you to put your hand up just high right where you are. There's no shame. My hand is up. Mine is high. Just keep it high. There's hands all over this room. I want to pray for you right where you're standing. Wow. Put both of them up now. Mine are both up. Father, we stand here today vulnerable in your sight just as we are. And we ask you, Lord, once again, to help us, to heal us, to comfort us. Those things that we wrestle with that nobody knows, the insecurities, the ego, the anger, the the frustration, God, Help us, Lord. We need you. I can't do this without you, God. I'm I'm a mess without you. So take control of our lives today. Hold our hands and lead us through. Lord, I know the storm that we're going through, the testing, is going to eventually pass. Steady my heart. Steady my steps and my mind and my emotions today in the name of Jesus. Now I want everybody to put your hand on your heart, both both hands on your heart. And I want you to pray this prayer with me. Dear God, I love you and I thank you that you are a faithful friend and you never leave me Not only in my good, but in my bad times. I trust in you. Father, help me today to be strong in your strength. Thank you, Father, for a safe church that I can come to and not be afraid to be myself. I have family around me. I'm safe. In Jesus' name, amen.